episode of BoagWorld.com, the podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul Boag. And my name is Marcus Lillington. And we're back from holiday. Well, I'm Don't back say we. No. Okay, I haven't I been on holiday yet. La, la, Look, la, black la, bags la, under la. eyes and the like. 40th, what's that? That's not gold, it's not silver. It's old. China or something. Although there are a lot, of the pod- a lot of the podcasts are going through their 50th band at the moment dignation have just done their 50th well so. we're still old i think generally they, speaking they all they all just got horribly drunk for their 50th so perhaps we ought to do the same we've never done a podcast drunk yet that's because we always do them on monday morning that's except why except possibly the geek dinner one where i'd had slightly too much to drink yeah when I well stood up that was spoke. deliberate ploy on my part that yes. one uh, get him drunk and make him even more uh, um spiky spiky <laughs> yes so there we go okay so welcome Especially welcome if you are one of the many, many new listeners that um, have uh, signed up over the last couple of weeks. It's interesting that when I go on holiday, suddenly more people (laughs) subscribe to the podcast. Bizarre. And we've had a a, a huge spike in our number. Why is that bizarre then? Probably because I'm not very interested. <laughs> I don't know. The more kind of interviews we do with other people, the more people subscribe. I think that's the key. They're You're... bored to listening to us. Oh, no. Uh, have we got any questions so- or anything today? Song and, yeah. song and dance routine or something like that. Anyway, we, so, so we've seen a big spike in the number of da- downloads, which, to be honest, actually isn't anything to do with our competence. I don't think. I expect you're probably right It's there. the fact that for some reason iTunes has have made us a featured um, uh, podcast under the technology section. So we're like, it goes something like, you know, Dignation, um, This Week in Tech, Boag World, which I find horribly amazing. Only three? No, no, I've just, there were about six, I think. That, Still. Yeah, we're doing, you know, we, we're right up at the top of the list. And also now they've put us at, um, at right at the top of the page on the home page of the podcast. We've got a big banner in a rotating. By the way, we didn't design that banner because it's the <laughs> ugliest banner ever. So, uh, so, yeah, as a result, lots of new people listening to the podcast. We really appreciate that. Um, we also, um, oh, I really appreciate Marcus probably doesn't because he's used to fame. So... <laughs> It's a long time ago. It's it's a different life, you know, Paul. A different life. That was yes. a different me all that all those years ago. You know, it's not when that you far young, off twenty years ago. When your when your beard was not quite as grey as it is today. Exactly. Yeah, it's very grey now. So um, makes me look distinguished, though, don't you think? Paul? Yes, definitely. <laughs> so also, thank you for the hundreds of people that have emailed me over the last week. I've had stacks of emails and comments on the uh, on the website, and it's really good to hear from you all. I I'm sorry. Because I cannot reply to them all. I came back and there were, you know, several hundred emails waiting. And I just thought, I can't do this. I can't go through them all. I've read them all. But just replying is is more than I have time for at the moment. So if you have written over the last week, I do apologize. um, But you won't hear from me. Um, I'm sorry. In fact, I have to say. He loves you all. (laughs) Yeah, I love you, but I can't be bothered to write back. No, I have to say it is reaching that point now, as this podcast has grown in popularity, where it is becoming harder and harder for me to respond to them all. I try my best, um, but if I don't reply, please understand that it's not because I've turned into a celebrity lovey that doesn't care about people that are listening to the show. I'm I speechless. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so not only have I got to thank people for subscribing to the podcast um, who haven't subscribed before, not only have I got to thank people for um, taking the time to email me where I don't obviously give a monkey's <laughs> and haven't replied, but also we've got to thank our many, many Norwegian listeners. I told you. So, I can't even, <laughs> do you know, that ho- the holiday is stretched out so much, I can't actually remember what we said about Norwegian listeners. Probably it wasn't very complimentary. 
I you think, remember? I think it was something like I said they were fantastic. We had loads of them, and you just put them down really badly. Said we we won't have any, and even if we did, I don't like them. I think that's that was something along those lines. Yeah. And you can't you can't remember? No, so you just I go, really can't. <laughs> I know you're lying, but I can't correct you because I can't remember it was that long ago. But I was quite impressed. We had loads actually. Loads yeah. of people wrote to me go. saying I'm Norwegian, and there were a lot of references to trolls. Did we talk about trolls? I don't remember trolls. No, I can't remember either. Very surreal, anyway. So there you go. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you for those pointless <laughs> reasons. Yes, let's move on. Let's stay on topic. What we're going to talk about this week. Well, yes, we have got lots of things we're going to cover this week. I want to introduce a concept that you might not have encountered before, something called micro formats. bit techy, I have to admit, but I am putting it in the techno buster section. So okay. that kind of excuses it being a bit techy, I suppose. We're also going to have a detailed look at um, Ian's Law- Ian Lloyd's book, um, Build Your Own Website the Right Way Using HTML and CSS. Now, I have mentioned this before, haven't I, in the yes, podcast? Yes. But I didn't actually have a copy. I now am holding a copy in my hand, so I'm going to read that to you from beginning to end. <laughs> it's quite a thick book. might take a while. Okay. So, yeah, I'm we're going to have a look. down when you get to that bit. Yeah, we're going to have a look <laughs> at that. And then finally, we're going to look at the App Media Conference I went to just before I went on my holiday. And um, I didn't. Pardon me? And I didn't. No. We took somebody who was more worthy than <laughs> you. So um, we're going to have a look at that. And we're going to look at how it actually applies in the real world of day-to-day web design um, for those of us that aren't at the cutting edge of everything that's happening, even though we like to think we are. So there you go. That's what we're going to cover. First thing to start with will be our Technobuster section. So in our Technobuster section this week, we're going to look at the subject of micro formats. Um, Eric wrote in and asked that I discuss this in some more detail as he didn't know what they were. I'm now regretting the fact that in my my notes here for the show, I've just written the word microformats and haven't actually written any detail about what I should be saying about them. Well, I'll help you. Uh, They're obviously um, small. Because they're microformats. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Thank you. Uh, So can we move on now? Hopefully that has answered Eric's question. (laughs) No, actually, this was one of the things that was discussed um, at the App Media Conference. So I should know something as I sat in on the session on this. (laughs) And uh, Tantec, who is the guy that came up with microformats, gave a a presentation on them. I had heard about them before because he also talked about them um, on the previous year's um, conference as well. They're evolving gradually, so they're quite an interesting area and probably an area that you need to pay some attention to. So what are they? So what are they? I've done everything other than say what they are. Well, if you want to find out more information about them, you can... Google it. No, you can go to microformat.org, I think it is. But here it is in a nutshell. Right. If you think about uh, websites... Lots of web uh, websites cover the same type of information. So most websites have contact information. Yep. All right. Most websites um, may, or a lot of websites have um, events, events yep. listings, sure. that kind of thing. So, that, and there are kind of consistent information that's being portrayed across multiple websites. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the basic principle of microformats is: wouldn't it be cool if? That information was all presented in the HTML in a consistent way so that various applications could draw on that information across multiple sites. So let me give you a real-world example of this. So if you um, take, take, for example, basic contact information, right? Name, address, telephone number, email, that kind of stuff, all right? Now, if... Um, if in your HTML code you could present um, those in a consistent format across so multiple sites. So you always have a name first. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So, well, not, no, not the order that they're presented in. No, they can be displayed however you want, but if they're tagged up the same. Oh, right, okay. So, for example, they've got an ID or a class. Now we're getting a bit techy, and I shouldn't be in this section. But if they're, they're, they've got, um, they're described in a particular way within the code, then you could have situations... Like, um, well, I'll give you a real-world example, okay? It's now possible that there is a site you can go to um, where if, if you've marked up um, 
uh, your code so that contact information is marked up correctly, it will look at that page. You can just point this application at the page and it will create a V card of that page you can take straight into Outlook. All right. So basically, instead of having to copy all of the contact information out of a web page into Outlook, you can just save out a V card and pull it straight in. All right. Yeah. So that's one application of how it can work. There's also um, a, a little um, extension for Firefox, which means if you go to a page that's got this information marked up correctly, it automatically identifies and shows you a little, you know, summary of that information. And that information doesn't need to be formatted any particular way. It doesn't need to be grouped together. It just needs to be marked up correctly in the code. So it's almost like micro standards, not micro formats. Yeah, well, it's okay. a good form of standardization, isn't it? Yes, it's a, it's a, an extension, really, of the, mm. the 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 HTML tags and and stuff that already exists. I, mm. I kind of know where you're coming from. So, um, for example, if you go to the Boag World homepage, on the right hand side, I say my name, I've got my email address, and my job title in there. Mm. They're all marked up as a V card. Oh, sorry, as a micro format. And so, if you've got you know if you've got the right setup, you could, that can then be pulled out. Cool. So the same principle applies to lots of different things. There are lots of micro formats emerging. There's um, one for events and uh, there's, um, uh, I can't remember the list basically, but there's quite a few of them now. Anybody can create a micro format. So you could decide you were going to create a micro format for recipes. All right. Um, You propose how you're going to do that. Um, there's a little process that kind of happens within the, the micro format community and then you publish it. So there's no kind of governing body that controls this. Mm. So it would be possible, for example, there to end up being two micro formats for say, recipes, yeah. right? Um, the idea is that the community should work together so there should be only one and basically the most popular will win because obviously at the end of the day, if there isn't a critical mass of these and nobody's going to create applications for them. Probably the, the, the best thing to do is um, go to technorati.com um, and there now is uh, a facility to search on contact information using these micro formats. Um, so you can see some real life examples of them. They're really dead simple to mark up. So they're really easy to add into sites with very, very little work. Um, so there you go. Check them out. I think they're worth um, having a better look at microformats.org hopefully that kind of explains does that make sense because yeah, you knew totally, nothing about totally. it beforehand absolutely 100% excellent so before we move on to our main feature um, I've just realised that um, in the Technobuster yeah. I, I mentioned a Firefox expect- extension that allows you to view these contact information and I know I'm going to get people writing in asking me what it is so I've just looked it up um, and it is called Tails. So if you do Firefox extension and um, search on Firefox extension and the Tails, you will find this great little um, Firefox extension that allows you to uh, view contact information. Cool. So there you go. That's not really relevant to anything, but I thought I ought to mention it because people will email me. And you won't reply to them. So. No. Yeah, yeah. So I have no choice but to do that. Okay, so the main feature for today is we're going to look at the app media conference that i've just been to and then just so you know um what this is um because i'm I'm not entirely sure whether i've explained properly what app media is in the past i talked about yeah yeah. okay you've talked about it quite a lot actually (laughs) well as we've got so many new listeners so app media is probably one of the biggest uh web design conferences that happening here in the uk there were over 800 people attending this year wide variety of different people from different backgrounds um web designers within um uh you know agencies there were representatives from public sector organizations lots of lots of different types of people attend it it's a really good get together it has leading names in the world of web design um but also it's really good from the social aspect to meet other web designers and share kind of gripes and moans and bitches and (laughs) that, that kind of stuff so it's it's a good conference now, I've been thinking quite hard about this podcast, because believe it or not, I do put some thought into this podcast. He normally does five minutes before I arrive, it's true. It's going to be one of those days. Do you know, I've got really, I have this overwhelming urge to do that, that raspberry right into the microphone. 
because everybody keeps writing in to me saying, oh, Marcus is doing a much better job with the audio now, so I'm going farther away and nearer to the microphone to make it sound unprofessional and get you in trouble. You see what I have to work with. Yes. So, yeah, I've been putting some thought into this, uh, this show, and I came up with two different approaches of how we could basically cover the subject art media. First of all, we were talking about doing interviews, which I think we mentioned before, didn't we? But when I got there, it was like... You'd be the annoying journo. No, actually, no? it wasn't that. There's a microphone I'm talking to it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. I don't mind being an annoying person. It comes very naturally. But uh, it was so noisy, there would have been so much, and it, you would have been straining to hear what people had to say. And, you know, and after every session, there was thousands of people would crowd around. Him, and I just didn't, didn't yeah. feel it was the right approach. Um, the second one is I thought I could talk through each of the sec- sessions and what happened and, and who I met and stuff like that. Mm. But it, it just felt like it would turn into this huge kind of name-dropping section. Well, when I was talking to Jeremy Keith about, you know, whatever. And it just, it didn't seem such a great idea. So I, I was kind of a bit stuck about how to do it. But um, I was sitting through probably the... Um, the last panel right at the end of the 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 session and um somebody said something in fact the entire panel said something that made me realize how to some extent absurd app media is even though i absolutely love it um <laughs> there was one co- one of the questions was last year we talked a lot about web standards and building with web standards this year it hasn't been mentioned at all why is that you know discuss as panel yeah. And the universal answer from all of these these experts in the panel was, well, everybody's using web standards now. Yep, of course they are. <laughs> uh, which struck me as somewhat absurd. Uh, yes. And, and that it suddenly hit me that, that the conference as a whole, although fascinating, it's actually made up of people that, um, for a start, have the money and time to go to conferences like this. Mm-hmm. And, and the people that are presenting are kind of one step ahead of the rest of us. You know, that they're looking at, at what's going to be coming up, what we should be engaging with. And they're kind of at the, at the cutting edge. I hate that phrase, mm-hmm. but the cutting edge of web design. And that probably what I needed to do was actually take a step back from that and look at, well, you know, how does all this stuff they've been talking about apply in the real world? You know, in the pragmatic world that the majority of us work in. Well, I mean, just just to kind of maybe add a little bit of weight to that, we Headscape lost a piece of business uh, earlier this year to a very large institution that decided to go for another agency that does not build its websites um, using web standards. Mm. Yeah, and we're not talking small time, big, you know, universally known um, organisation. Yeah. So I mean, obviously so that's not true. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean. And it's not just web standards. It's like everything that's covered. I mean, to some extent, the microformats that we've just been talking about, they're a bit of an airy-fairy conceptual idea that hasn't, that hasn't reached its full potential yet, well, it, but it, probably will do a year or two down the it line. It's another form of standardisation, which makes everyone's life easier. Yeah. So it's all good stuff, but what, how does it actually apply you know, in the day-to-day, so to speak. Also, these conferences are full of techno babble, and a, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. A lot of it um, is very confusing and not relevant to the world, real world. So, being a good web designer that I am, I'm focusing on my target audience. Of good who, person in general. Yes, of who's listening to this <laughs> podcast. I'm just ignoring you now, moving on. So, who listens to this podcast? Well, our and, and how is app media relevant to them? Hmm. So our audience splits into two groups of people. Those that run websites. So we're going to look at what out of the conference applies to those that run websites. And also those that work in the trenches, so to speak, you know, doing mundane web design, you know, day-to-day, churn it out web design, don't have time to go to expensive conferences or, you know, their bosses won't pay for them to go to it anyway, don't have time to read all the latest blogs, etc. So what I'm going to do is go through what I think were the big issues of the show and how those then apply. Sure. Does that sound like a logical plan? Absolutely. Good. Let's do that then. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six different issues that came out of the conference that I think kind of summed up at media. And we're going to do them one at a time. First one, accessibility. 
Mm. But this was interesting. Or was it? Was it? I don't know. Was there lots of well, a lot of people, and ring? It, it's quite on. interesting to see the, the, f- the feedback that's come out of this conference. A lot of people said it was a boring session mm. because I think they were expecting a real good kind of fight mm. over it. And a, you know, and but everyone really, agreed, no doubt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there was kind of... It was a funny one. I thought it was really interesting. But you did have to think a little bit about what was being said. So just to give context... The, the session that I'm talking about here was one that was um, talking about the upcoming new set of accessibility guidelines. Which we have talked about. Which we've talked about. Yeah. Okay, so, um, and the, the underlying message that came out of it is, this is bloody confusing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, there were, <laughs> there were four panel members, and these, these four panel members could not have been bigger names in the world of accessibility. Now, admittedly, the controversial one, Joe Clark, wasn't there, but... Other than that, they were they were big names. There was um, Ian Lloyd for Accessify.com. There was um, uh, Patrick, who is a, um, also works with Ian on Accessify and does various other things. There was um, uh, Les Lemon, who is the guy from um, that actually works on the W3C and is working on WCAG 2, uh, the new set of guidelines. And there was somebody else whose name you can't remember. escapes me. So, oh, I know, Andy Clark right. was, was also on it. I think Andy Clark was on it. Anyway, you don't care about any of that, I don't, do you? No. Because none of those no names mean does anything. either. Right. Move on. So the, <laughs> the, these are good, what, what I was getting at is these are big, big guys that really know their stuff about accessibility, but were stuck over WCAG 2, over the new guidelines. They found them confusing. You know, they'd read them from cover to cover and all the associated documentation. They kind of did talk us through it, but they said the language is confusing. The implementation is going to be a problem. It's, uh, it's difficult to get your head around. There's some good stuff in there, good concepts. that They understood the logic behind it. They were a lot more complimentary than Joe Clark would have been about the guidelines. Mm. But fundamentally, there were big issues there. So kind of... And what they were encouraging us to do, and I guess my message for website owners looking ahead, um, of you know, in regards to the accessibility of their websites, is these guys were encouraging you, well, think beyond these guidelines. Think beyond just checking the checkboxes, which is actually something we've said before, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Um, and that, that website accessibility is more than just saying, yes, I am WCAG 2 compliant or, you know, I've done this and that. It's about looking at your target audience and, um, and deciding where, where you need to pitch your accessibility policy and actually have a set of, you know, have a policy of, of what you're going to do, decide on what you're going to do, and then pick the appropriate guidelines t- to reinforce that and to work with that. Yeah. Now, that's not saying ignore what's written in WCAG 2 or ignore what's written in WCAG 1 and it's definitely not a kind of escape clause to say oh well I mm. you know I don't need to do any of this stuff you need to take it seriously um, but you know equally don't get kind of constrained too much by the guidelines now I can hear some of our clients I don't know whether you mm-hmm. can but I have this little voice in my head going yes but if we don't conform to single a compliancy or double a compliancy or this new success criteria of WCAG or whatever then we're going to get sued ah but if i can hear a lot of them saying then we're not we're not following our own guidelines we're not doing what we've been told to do yeah um, but if you think logically about it for just a second uh, they, these guidelines that they, internal organisations create are created primarily for arse covering. They're about, you know, if if we get sued, we can say we have conformed to this level and that this is a decent... Sure. Um, but what happens in that process of you getting sued, right? First of all, somebody writes to you and goes, I tried to use your site um, and I can't use it because I've got no hearing and no vision and can't... can't type you know whatever um and and then only if they're not getting a response for you does it escalate and eventually could end up in in litigation so i think as long as you're responding to your audience's requests and you know you're seeing to to respond in a timely manner you know that you are trying to tackle these things and there's not an issue there um and that actually you think you're better off to to um, create a level of accessibility that is reasonable for your target audience as a whole 
um, rather than conforming to an artificial level of, of accessibility. For example, you can get into absurd situations where it might be really good on your website to include some flash, mm. but your budget doesn't allow you to do an alternative version as well for, for people that you don't have Flash installed. And so your conclusion is, well, we can't do Flash then because we need to be compliant. Mm. Well, my argument is, well, actually, probably you're better off doing the Flash. And then, you know, if you're getting problems, if users are having issues, then you can readdress that problem later on. Mm. You know, so it's about flexibility. I th- I, that was the underlying message I picked up. Be flexible, look beyond just checkpoints and guidelines and, and try and create your own, uh, uh, own um, yeah, accessibility policy yeah for each for each separate site and it's interesting that WCAG 2 has actually got some of that built in it's got something called baselines in it where you can specify baseline technologies that are required in order to to achieve your your you know for your site to be accessible so you could say well javascript is a requirement of our our site now it's all a bit woolly about exactly what that means and how far that goes. Mm. So uh, they, yeah, they went round and round in circles in this. And nobody thing. made it. Yeah, okay, yeah. fine. So website owners look beyond checkpoints. If you're a developer and you're going flipping heck, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've only just got my head round WCAG one. Now I've got to do WCAG two. My advice is this: don't worry about it. Just ignore it for now. Uh, you know, if the four people on that panel who read the documentation and read it all from beginning to end and all the rest of it, if they're still confused about it, yeah, you haven't got a chance. Wait until what? Well, one, it hasn't <laughs> even been officially released yeah, yet. Yeah, and yeah, probably wait for a revision version four point six or something. And then I, we'll, yeah, they're not very good at revision versions, but at least wait until it's been published officially. Yeah. Um, and then what will happen is people will start writing commentaries on it that will explain it in better English sure. and all the rest of it. So it will become clearer over time. So I, my I still think that's the funniest thing of all, that it needs to be translated. I know. Accessibility guidelines. I know. It, <laughs> yeah. It's absurd. But there you go. So there's accessibility. Let's not um, dwell on it anymore because everybody criticizes me for going on about accessibility too much. Mm. So second thing, IE7. Chris Wilson, I think it is. I'm doing this all off. I should have the list of speakers up, shouldn't I read? Um, Chris Wilson is the lead developer on IE7, and he was there, um, and I I really admired him, actually. He he had a lot of guts to stand up in front of a a group of web designers. I mean, it's his job, yeah. And he, he, because he's been working with IE for a long time, so he's kind of responsible for some of the mess that we're in. But He's really trying to change things um, in the way that Microsoft communicate and all the rest of it. So his session was excellent. Long and short of it is that i7 is coming out soon. We should see it within the next few months. Um, certainly, I think he was talking about the third quarter. So coming up, oh, right, really. Yeah. Um, next couple of months, maybe. Um, and it's going to go from beta to live. Now, it's available in beta at the moment. So advice for website owners out of this, if, if you own a website... Go along to microsoft.com forward slash IE, download the beta, install the beta, look at your website. Mm. Is it broken? Isn't it broken? If it's broken for any reason whatsoever, go back to your web design company and or de- internal developers and get it fixed mm. before this site go, you know, it goes fully live. And that's really all my advice for web developers. That's all they need to do. If Sorry, website owners. Yes. If you're a website developer, there's a few things you need to know about IE7. First of all, it's got better support for CSS. <laughs> that was a funny place to put the comma there. Yes, it was. Yeah. Better support for CSS. Yes, for what? Um, yeah, so um, you should find, if you've been using standards, if you've been building with web standards, if your site works in Firefox, you shouldn't encounter too many problems unless you've used a lot of um, hacks in order to get it working with previous versions of IE, like IE6. If that is the case, then you probably want to get your hands on something called the Readiness Toolkit. Um, Now, the Readiness Toolkit is basically something um, uh, the guys at IE, Chris and his team, have put out that um, helps you get make sure your site is going to work in i7 one of the things it's got in it which i just love excellent little tool is called the expression finder and the expression finder basically searches through all your css files and and finds those hacks right identifies them all for you so you can then fix them the way to fix them as i'm sure most people are aware these days if they're using standards is to use conditional comments instead if you don't know what conditional comments are google it you'll find loads of stuff on it 
so that the one other thing that i wanted to draw developers um attention to and really website owners as guests as well is something called open search don't know this nah this is very cool this one so i7 is adding into um its interface a search box in the top right they're copying firefox basically um but what they're doing which i don't think firefox does currently although i believe that they're introducing something is called is this idea of open search now what open search is is that when if you add a certain code into your web page at the top of the page when the user navigates to your website your search box in top right hand corner will flash and there'll be a there's a little drop down arrow that you can select and suddenly you have the ability to search within the site you're currently viewing, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, for example... So you- we can dump search boxes from all the website designs we do. <laughs> In theory, eventually, yes. Because yeah, it will be available within the interface. Mm. The only downside, and I can completely understand why they've done it, but as a website owner, this is a bit frustrating, is that it doesn't default to your... Um, your website when you use that top box it'll default to whatever they set the default to be right um, also when they surf away from the website if they haven't done anything then that you the option to search your site will disappear mm. however they do have the option to add your search permanently so mm. that they can always search on your site wherever they are so mm. quite a nice little tool that i definitely think is worth adding in um i probably is gonna i haven't i I mean i've only just got back from holiday so i haven't had a chance to investigate this further yet but it sounds like something that could be quite cool and quite useful definitely some general information that everybody needs to know about ie going forward whether you're a website owner or website developer chris made it very clear that microsoft has now committed themselves to developing the browser on in the future there was some talk at one stage about IE going away entirely and Microsoft not producing a browser I anymore. remember that, yes. Um, that is now officially gone away, that rumour. Um, they are already working on IE8, so that will be around. There is talk beyond that as well. Um, so I think we can expect IE to continue to appear in the future. The other thing that Chris has promised in front of an audience of web mm. designers is this time around there won't be a five-year gap between releases of ie it's been a long time Mm. this one so i mean basically they've been pushed into this by firefox it's releasing on a regular basis so they're they're in a situation where they're having to do the same so excellent news all round for the web um web browser part of the web design community Mm. and i'm kind of hopeful that things will continue to improve there last thing to say about ie7 is that um chris made it clear it's going to be part of windows update which means that um, it will be rolled out much quicker. You know, won't re- wait for people to actively go and download it. It will be part of the Windows update. How high a priority it will be, you know, will it be an optional update? Will it be a critical update? You know, there are different types of updates, That's basically. That's imperative. Is pretty important. Because if it's a high priority one, then anyone who's got those updates set as automatic, which is pretty much everybody, yeah, is it'll be get automatic. It. I... I, I Chris wouldn't 100% commit himself on this, but it's pretty likely it's going to be an automatic, mm. you know, critical update because of the security features in it. Sure. Okay. Um, but he, he said, he said, put it like this. I, I want to get as many people using IE7 as possible because I want to drop support for the other ones as soon as possible. So, well, As do the, yeah. the whole of the web design it, community. So. Exactly. So I, he's got the same gender as us. So, yeah, I, th- I think that will be... It will, the take-up on IE7 will be fast, which is why it's important to get ready for it now. Yeah, cool. So that's IE7 um, done. Next area that I wanted to look at is web applications. By this... Well, everybody avoided using the word, but we're talking Web 2.0 here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think I, Web 2.0, in the sessions I attended, was only mentioned once, which I thought was damn impressive. Excellent. I think it's become a bit of a hated phrase, but basically, it's the concept of um, uh, that websites are more are becoming more than static HTML pages. Now we're getting more and more applications be- arriving through the web. 
Now, this is a kind of difficult one, really. I had my first inquiry on Friday where I thought this is a Web 2.0 application. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Absolutely. I mean, it would, it, it would, it would work not being a Web 2.0 application, but it would be better as yeah. an application style. Excellent. So there you go. It's, so, it's happening. So there was a lot of talk about making web pages behave more like desktop applications. Mm. And there were some really good examples of, of where this might be applicable. Um, how this applies to our audience. I, I, I struggled to kind of, you know, because at the moment, Web 2.0 applications you think of as being word processing online or Google's new Excel spreadsheet type application or, you know, things like that that, are, that just don't apply to the majority of I suppose if you've got Day-to-day something websites. like, I don't know, if you're a financial site and you've got calculators on your site or something like that, yeah, they, sure. they would be a more pleasant experience. user experience yeah. if, if they were built more like an application than yeah. refreshing HTML pages. So uh, I've kind of narrowed it down a bit. If you're a website owner, you need to start looking at your site and looking for opportunities to, to yeah. make things more application-like. So some classic examples of that would be if you have a big app, um, oh, I'm going to use the word application. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? If you have long forms to fill in, like you're applying for a mortgage or sure. that kind yeah, of yeah. thing, that's what I was getting confused yeah, yeah. with two types of application. So if you've got something like that, then obviously uh, turning that into more of an application, which makes that process easier, would be, would be really good. Yeah. That's a good example of it. But even in other things, um, uh, Jeffrey um, uh, Bean uh, gave an excellent presentation on, on this kind of stuff um, and about how the, the way we interact with the web is changing. And he gave an example, which is a bit hard to describe without actually showing you screenshots. But basically, he had a, a table of data, mm-hmm. right? So he showed this table of data, and it was just data to begin with. And it was like, well, we know nothing about it. Right. Well, traditionally, what we would have done as web designers is we would have put, you know, the head it, heading column and the side column. Yeah, yeah. So, and then he, he showed that, and that showed. Well, actually, look, we're looking at rainfall in particular cities across America. That okay. was what the data was about. Okay, so that makes sense, but it's not very visible. So then you 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 add some design to make it more attractive and easier to understand. You maybe alternate the row colors yeah. and, and lay it out nicer, use different fonts and that kind of stuff. So so it looks more attractive. Um, he then said, well, actually, you could go a step further. And instead of having these numbers, which can be quite difficult sometimes to take in, you put little rainfall icons. So the more raindrops there are, the, yeah, you know, yeah. so you get more you kind of it's more graphically pleasing. And then he says, so that's kind of how we far we've got traditionally with web design. But we could now be taking it a stage further with stuff like that and going, actually, you could show it like this. Then he puts up a map of the USA with the cities marked. All right. Mm-hmm. And there's a slider of over time because this was rainfall over time, you know, across a, a year. Um, and then you could basically say, I want to see this period of time on a slider bar. Sure. And then as you slide that bar up and down, the rainfall amounts change over the various cities. Very mm. visual, very nice, very responsive. Cool. Yeah, um, very. So you, there's a need to, as website owners to start looking at your site and saying, OK, is this data, is this information is this application form whatever is it as easy as it could be could it be made Mm. easier now it's not your job to work out how to make it easier that's why you go into a web designer but identify problem areas of your site that potentially a web designer could sort out for you and use web 2.0 type technologies to achieve that yeah also the other part of this um is look out there at what other people are doing and see if you can learn from from what they're doing and perhaps apply some of those ideas to your own website. So as a web developer, however, what I took out of this is um, basically very simple. You need to learn JavaScript. Mm. And you need to, if if you're a a web designer, in other words, a front-end designer, like I would consider myself, then you need to learn JavaScript um, and, you know, doing the effects and stuff that are going to be your part of it. If you're a web developer, you need to learn the Ajaxy bit, the HTTP requests and all that kind of techno stuff. All right. So the message here is this is the time you need to learn JavaScript. Right. 
now, Be- yes. Because clients are going to start coming to you as you've been witness to asking mm. for this kind of stuff. So you need to be ready. Web applications, that's that one. Branding. This, oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting one, this one. <clears throat> um, not very current, not very mm. exciting. Well, permanently well, no, current. You put them permanently exciting, one yeah. could argue. Yeah, I know what you mean. But not what you'd expect necessarily from, from a conference like this. No. But we, there was, there was a, a panel that I went to that, was, that really struck home with me. Perhaps this is just a personal one and, and really not for everybody else. But it was one which is, um, what's the difference between good design and great design? And they had four really good designers on there. People that I really, really ex- um, respect and think are excellent designers. There was John Hicks on there. Um, there was Cameron Mole. Um, I can't remember the rest, um, but there were other people. 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 Good Import, people. Important people. Yeah. People that I believe create great design. Okay. They talked about lots of things. They talked about colour and typography and this mm. and that and the other. But the one thing that really impacted me was a very simple statement that I think John Hicks ma- made, which is that great design takes time. And they actually started talking about their timescales. Now... I won't talk about what we, on average, put in our proposals, right? But mm-hmm. you, you know the figure, even if our audience doesn't. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm too ashamed to admit it. Because they were talking about, they work on a, on a design over months, on and off. Yeah. Because they, what they're saying is not, not only does great design take time, it takes thought time. Mm-hmm. You need a lot of time to mull it over, to, to, to refine it, just to kind of get inspiration to think about it. And I have to confess that is a big thing for me that often design, oftentimes it's like, right, I'm working on this website ne- uh, on next Tuesday. And so Tuesday morning, I open up the proposal, I read through it and I do the design. Mm-hmm. Ugh, <laughs> how dumb am I doing that? When I read the proposal a week or a fortnight beforehand and I have time to let it digest, the quality of the design improves dramatically. And I often think that, that the design elements of a project get rushed. Well, yes, they, to, to some extent, yes, I agree with you. And um, it's exactly the same for the few times that we've been paid for me to do, to write original music. It's always like, you've got half an hour, come yeah. on, do something really good. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what to do, uh, I need to think about this. And it's exactly the same thing. I mean, yeah. Uh, of course, if anything that has anything that's kind of creative now of course the argument goes that you know being creative is one percent inspiration 99 percent perspiration which is true you need to know your you know you, you need to have the skills to be able to complete a design but that initial you know creative spark you need to think about and mm. mull over and if you're under time pressure got to do this by lunchtime because yeah. i'm doing different projects in the afternoon it it's it's almost uh it, you know, it, it kind of stops that process rather than helps it. So, yes. The other right. thing I noticed is... That no, no one's going to pay us months to do design work. No, I know they're not. <laughs> um, the other thing I noticed is, is design iterations, mm-hmm. that they did a lot more design iterations than we would do. Um, so, they, and they, they kind of drove this point home using... In fact, I think it might have even been in a, a different presentation that this was driven home. Um, they they mentioned some research that you've probably already heard of because I think it was knocking around and, and a lot of people mentioned it, where they showed websites to people for one twentieth of a second. Did you hear about this? <laughs> no. Nope. They literally flashed it up in okay. front of them and took it away. And people had to say whether they, they deemed that website um, trustworthy or untrustworthy. It's ringing a bell, actually. With the yes. 20th of second. Yeah. And then I believe they showed it to them again, allowed them to look round at the site, look at the content of the site, and make the same judgment. And the judgment was often the same. So basically, it, what, what was being taken out of that research is that design really, really matters. Mm. Matters a lot more than we think it does. Um, and that people make, you know, we always talk about first impressions laugh. Well, they mm. really do. They really do matter. And, it, you know, in a 20th of a second, somebody is making a judgment about it. So that's, that's ridiculous. But actually, in the presentation, it was a different presentation, actually. I can't remember who did it. He actually flashed up things, one after another, with a 20th second. And it was enough time to tell. 
My you argument tell. to that against that would be who looks at websites for a twentieth of a second. They don't, but the, but that's what the research went on to show by by letting people look at it for longer. They were coming to the same conclusion as they were looking at it from a twentieth of a second. What the twentieth of a second showed is that they were coming to the conclusion based purely on design because that's all you can take in in a twentieth of a second. You can't read any of the content. No, you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So the long and the short of it is that. Branding and design needs more attention than it's getting. I entirely accept what you're saying is no client's going to pay for a month's worth of design work. It's just not feasible. But what I'm concerned about and what does happen is design is the first thing to get squeezed out on a project. If time is tight, um, it's often designed. Not so much in our proposal stage, but in reality when the project actually hits. It's often we try and make up time on design. What, hap- what also is bound to happen when you limit the creative aspect of a project is things become formulaic. Yeah. Um, and you tend to go back to something that, you've, that, you work, that worked in the past and you'll base the next design on that. Yeah. Because there's similarities in the project, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Which there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, ideally, you want to be thinking about things properly creatively yeah. if that makes sense but I, and I, I the other thing was don't be afraid of iterations mm. because I, I i'm this is confession on my part i get irritated when the client wants loads of iterations mm. but actually i think it's probably a healthy process to go through i was i was a bit it bit converted when it came to this subject so website owners look at the proposals that your design agency submit you when they submit a a, a proposal to your invitation to tender look at how much time they've allocated to design um because i think that that matters mm. um and that ought to be one of the the criteria on which you um base a project also be realistic about your timeline so that a designer does have time to mull and think about design because you're not getting charged for that time really mm. as such are you you know, I, I don't, you know, once I've read a proposal, I don't charge them when I'm lying in bed at night <laughs> thinking about the design. You know, I don't charge them when I'm working on another project and I suddenly go, oh, that worked well for so-and-so mm. project. You know, you don't get charged for that stuff, but elapsed time needs to pass. Exactly, so yeah. deadlines are an issue there. Deadlines are an issue. Can we do a podcast on deadlines? Yeah. Start, you know, just at the moment, hair tearing out. Yeah. Consistently. I, it, it is something <laughs> we should cover. And then if you're a web developer, the message here is price projects properly. Make sure you mm. allow enough time for design. Don't be scared at, at pricing something realistically. Yeah. We've learned that recently, haven't we? We went through a patch where oh, we underpriced t- yeah. stuff to well, We've been work. telling ourselves for two or three years to price properly, and we've probably been doing it properly for about 18 months now. Yeah. And it, it's been fine, hasn't it? I don't feel yeah. that it's you damaged be, the business. You have to be big enough to walk away from things. Yeah. That's... That's, anyway. that's it. Yeah. We, so there we go. That's, that's branding. This is taking forever. This is turning into a really long podcast. The other issue that came up is mobile devices, and this is something that I get written to fairly, uh, fairly regularly over. And to yeah, be it's honest, it, it's something that I've been a little bit afraid to discuss because I didn't feel educated enough over it. I'd heard contradictory things from different sources. Um, I'm feeling a bit more confident about it now, and I think we probably need to do a podcast on it and discuss it properly. But just a few, so there was a bit of talk about mobile, and I believe that mobile is going to be the big area in the next year. Um, I think it's going to be something that's going to become more and more of an issue. Just to give you a bit of context, mobiles, mobile devices are the biggest growing device around that accesses the internet. Yep. You know, they, they leave PCs standing. There are, already, there are three times as many mobile devices as there are PCs, mm-hmm. the majority of which are connected to the internet. Um, more and more people are wanting to grab content for, um, f- from the internet for their mobile devices. You know, in the UK, there was a big push at the moment for video clips and stuff like that. But there's also internet access, getting train times, and, you know, there's yeah, loads of sports reasons. Sports results are a biggie. Yeah, lots of Still different too reasons. damn slow, though. <laughs> yeah. Painfully, painfully slow. But we're seeing the rollout of 3G, yeah. um, which is faster, faster uh, mobile access. So it's becoming a bigger area. Um, now, my message to website owners right is look at your website and ask yourself will somebody ever need to access this information via a mobile device 
let me give you well i'll give you the example they gave at the, this presentation it was cameron mole who's a web designer was talking about mobiles and has obviously done a lot of research into it and I looked into it and he said nobody's ever going to want to look at my portfolio of design work on a mobile device no of course they're not nobody's going to want to read well that's not necessarily true they may want to look at it on a mobile device that comes out later in the year that's got a big screen yeah but but well no because it's not just about the device itself it's about the context you're accessing in that with mobile devices you're not sitting at a desk with a pc doing research you're walking down the street that's the time or you're sitting at a bus stop bored or on a train or on a train perfectly but, capable of looking at yeah but the, the thing is but but most of the stuff you're asking is is in some way related to what you are currently doing at that time. It's not ten, doesn't tend to be casual browsing. It will be things like, well, we've already seen it, um, you know, um, the examples we've given about train times, you know, wanting sports results while I'm, you know, I'm sitting on the train or I want to read the news maybe, yeah. or I'm going for a walk and I'm lost. How do I find my way back to the nearest pub or whatever? All right. Hmm. So you've got to examine your websites on an individual basis. You don't want to put things... You don't want to just make your whole website available. It's pointless. You know, about us information doesn't need to be online. Contact us forms don't need to be online because fiddly yeah. little... You I mean, you're not going to fill in a contact us form on a blooming website or an application form to go to university. You know, <laughs> you're not going to do that on a mobile phone. No, you're not. Um, but things like potentially... Um, events information news information stuff like that may be more relevant so look at your content and ask yeah. what if anything from your site actually needs to be made mobile and then you need to think when do i want to do that and i have to say even though i think mobile is going to be a big growth area and a lot of um, the bigger organizations are going to leap on it i'd suggest for the majority of my listeners you know to the listeners mm. to this podcast i don't think now is the time I, I think you need to wait. And the reason I think you want to wait is because it's a bit of a nightmare at the moment. It's, it's very hard to implement effectively. And I think you'll find that whatever you do, although there is stuff you can do now, and stuff that isn't ridiculously expensive to do now, I think you'll find you're just redoing it in you know another year or two years. So perhaps you want to hang back a little bit. If you're a web developer, my advice is proceed with real caution in this area. Just to give you an idea, if you think the browser wars have been bad, you know, where you've had to support different, you know, uh, Internet Explorer and Netscape and all these different formats. Well, check this out. 40 different browsers on mobile devices on over 160 different devices, let alone the stuff that the carriers themselves. So Orange, Vodafone, you know, OK, those are UK ones, mm. but you get what, the carriers what they do as well to the stuff because they will actually compress it and mess around with it and screw with it and stuff yep. like that my advice is if you have a client approach you wanting to do this specify very carefully the device that you're supporting and i would suggest the best option is to go with something like oprah mini there's something called oprah mini or is it oprah mobile i think it's oprah Mim mini um opera oprah oprah is a tv show opera what did i say <laughs> anyway um as in Opera the browser? Yes, yeah, but right. they, do, they do a mobile version oh, and right. it, it, it will work on a whole plethora of different of those 160 devices. It really works on loads of things and you'll get consistency. So you're almost better saying to your users, look, d download this particular browser and run with it. What about... Because it's a difficult situation at the moment. I know that's crap. That's like saying IE only, but oh. I, I don't think you've got or, a choice. What about um, HTML only? Yeah, you can do that, but... There's a lot of inconsistency about how the browsers render HTML. Right. And, and so I'm just thinking, you've, you've built your site beautifully, standards compliant, your HTML is completely separate from your style sheets. Yeah. And I've tested some of our sites on the past. Yeah. On, and, and they're perfectly... They are perfectly not, usable. Not pretty, but they, they no, work. They do work. You'll get f radical, radically different formatting issues there. Right. Um, uh you'll find that some of the browsers don't support certain HTML tags. Nice. Um, and finally, um, you're fine, you've got to consider the fact that then you just make your whole website available. Agreed, yes. And I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect, but... But it, it, it's... A, yeah, that's when I was saying, look, if you're going to do something now, you're probably going to be changing it in two years. That would, that's what I had in mind. Mm. The, probably the simplest thing to do is just strip out the style sheet um, mm. and present the raw HTML... 
but that is gonna you know you're gonna be redoing it that in a couple does of years throw up some some problems but you i suppose what you're saying is what i'm trying to say is you're going to do that anyway if you're doing yeah building your site properly but some but you do have problems that some mobile devices think that think they understand style sheets so for example if you've got um a, a device like this that's uh-huh. a um a windows mobile device sorry i've just picked up a phone it's a podcast yeah <laughs> radio um, paul radio. yes radio <laughs> uh this is running pocket ie on it which mm. just massacres a website because it mm. thinks it understands style sheets. So there's, you have to do some issues about stripping out the style sheets. It, it, it's more basic. You know, there mm. are is, more issues involved than just pointing the browser at the website. Okay. But, yeah. So my That's advice That's for now is proceed about. with caution um, and, you know, only do it if, if it's a high priority to you at the moment. Okay, cool. The other thing that I wanted, in fact, the final thing I wanted to touch on, thank goodness, is this podcast <laughs> is about six months long. Um, is the subject of open data. This is kind of, again, it's a bit Web 2.0-y. Yes. But this is the kind of concept of making your website and the the information you have on your website more freely available um, to to different things. (laughs) So microformats is an example of this, where by by standardizing the way that you use your HTML, you're actually opening it up for other applications to, to... uh, access that data and use it in a more friendly format mm. another example would be rss if you're providing an rss feed th- not only can things like news aggregators use it which is news readers but also potentially it could be pumped into another website mm. or that kind of stuff so it's worth looking at your website and and, and as a website owner and say saying okay is there stuff on my site that i would actually like to make available to other people for whatever reason. So if you run an e-commerce site, would it be good to make it so that um, uh, somebody else could publish your products on their site and you provide them a commission like Amazon does with sure. its affiliate program? Mm. If you have um, industry news, like Boag World has got lots of um, you know general news that's uh, available, you know, that, that relates to web design as a whole, um, do I want to make that available for other people to post on their site and it links back to me? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do, because it's tra- it drives traffic to my site, so I make a, a, a method that that's possible. Sure. So look at the data on your site and, and consider what, you know, if anything, you, you would actually want to make, sh- uh, make available to third parties. And, you know, really look at it because it's a very powerful marketing tool and it can be a, um, a sales um, generator as well. And, you know, there are good reasons for making your data open. Um, and uh, also have a look around at what's, what other people are making available that you can include on your site. Mm. You know, one of the things that people often complain is that, oh, I can't update my site regularly. I know I should do because it helps with search engine optimization, etc. Well, there are feeds that you can draw into your site and, and post updated content on your site. You might think, well, I quite like some of these cool web applications that are about, but I can't afford them within my budget well take for example google maps Mm. you can add that into your site you know for minimal amount of work Mm. you know they've actually made that data available to you you might go well i'd like to make some money out of my site but you know i don't you know i can't see a logical avenue there i don't want to sign you know i don't want to run a big advertising banner ad thing because i can't afford to go out and sell stuff well google adsense Amazon's affiliate program, etc. So there are a lot of people that are opening their data up that you might want to use on your site as well. Mm. So look at what you know. Look at this new culture of open data and how it applies to your website. If you're a web developer, then it's time to start exploring things like microformats and the various APIs, which are the uh, the kind of method by which you pull in data from various sites. So that when clients start coming to you saying, I want Google Maps on my site, or I want us to appear within Technorati's contact database, then Mm. you know how to achieve those kinds of things. So um, the great thing about them is they're easy wins um, that you can add cool functionality to your clients' websites for minimal effort, which has got to be a great thing. So there you go. That about wraps up our main mahoosive section (laughs) to the the podcast for today. Um, Let's move on. Okay, so um, before we wrap up the podcast for today, um, I wanted to do a web resource review. I really need to rename that so I can say it. 
when we look at cool stuff that you might be interested in yeah. as a website owner or developer books quite section. often occasionally websites yeah um, I'm, I'm going to look at a book again uh, I've already talked about this book really yeah. but um, uh, oh, here we go here's a name drop while at App Media, I got chatting with Ian Lloyd, right, who's written one of the books that we mentioned before, and he actually thanked me for mentioning it and all the rest of it. And um, I scavved a copy off of him, basically. Because <laughs> I said, as I said when I previously reviewed it, I haven't actually read this book, but it sounds really cool. So he gave me a copy of it. Um, and it's called Build Your Own Websites the Right Way Using HTML and CSS. He he did explain that it wasn't his fault that it was a really long title. Um, I don't know whether I believe him or not, but there you go. Uh, so <laughs> so um, it's a book aimed at people starting out in web design. I'm forever getting asked, you know, where should I start in, in web design? And this book I would heartily recommend now as I've had a look through it. It really is exceptionally good um for anybody that's starting up so not only is it good for people that are starting out in web design i think it's also got stuff in that's really good for clients that want to be more engaged with the process of web design and understand it more especially explains a lot of the terminology surrounding web design and it explains that key area that that really often falls between web designers and and clients which is the web hosting Mm. you know it's got a whole section dedicated to hosting your website and the different elements involved in that and it's always a difficult area because the web design company isn't always providing the hosting. Um, and if depending on how good your web design company is, they might kind of say that's your problem. Mm. So it's, it's an area that clients want to know more about. But it also covers things like terminology and, and, and other things of interest to clients um, that, yes, is very useful. So just to give you a bit of an idea of what how the book pitches itself, how it works, it really does make no assumptions whatsoever about web knowledge. So, for example, right at the beginning, it explains what a browser is. So, right, cool. Very, yeah. I think that's really cool. I think that is really cool. Um, so it really goes from absolute basics. It also doesn't assume you have a massive budget to buy loads of software. So all of the software it recommends in here is freeware. It's stuff that's freely available. Right. Well, it kind of breaks it down into stuff that you need to get going, the basics, and then it does talk about other things you might want to consider getting. But the basic stuff is absolutely free. It takes you through the process of creating a bare-bone web page, just mm-hmm. HTML and how to do that. Um, it then t- talks about how to apply some basic CSS on top of that to make the fonts look nice and all that kind of stuff. It then goes into a bit more detail about CSS, how to control layout and positioning and that kind of thing. It covers the basics of image manipulation techniques, which again is useful to clients that are often in a position where they they want to add images to their site through their Absolutely. content management system, yeah. whatever. So it covers all of that. How to do that using free tools, which is a really good thing as well. well that's interesting. Which is interesting. I mm. can't say I've read that whole of that section. I've skim read the book, unsurprisingly, because I kind well, it doesn't of know sound like a book for you at all, Paul. Well, no, it's not because I actually do understand <laughs> web design. <laughs> <laughs> what oh you want it oh yeah. i see he's holding his hand out he wants the book i've had to give it's it to him to be my book okay well you can read it more in yeah. detail it looks at things like forms and tables and how to use them and how to do them properly it shows you how to get your website online which is the hosting stuff that we were talking about and the different options it also looks at some of the key stuff you might be interested in as a website owner like for example blogs how to post your own stuff on websites very simply. So it gets you going with blogs, which is excellent as well. Mm. It looks at some of the free tools that are out there, of you know the kind of things that you might find useful, like search, how to add search to your site for free, um, how to um, get going with website statistics for free to understand that kind of thing. It also suggests additional learning of where you go next. Um, and right at the back, it provides a nice, clear HTML reference um, to get you going um, on, you know, to be able to refer back to it time and time again to remind you what all these different tags are. So it's a really, really good read. Highly recommend it. You can um, get at it via the show notes associated with this podcast, which brings me nicely on to wrapping up. The show notes will be available at com forward slash podcast. Select episode number 40 and all of the links and stuff that we've discussed will all be in there um, for this week. Um, you can also post any comments or thoughts um, you've had on the show there um, in the comments section at the bottom of the page. So check that out as well. Next week's show, I'm working with forms, which should be good. 
um, we're going to look at how to work with forms on your website, how to get the most out of uh, forms. Forms are one of the primary ways your users interact with you via your website, and yet they're never really given the attention they deserve, in my opinion. Um, they're often kind of just shoving some form fields, and, um, and there is so much you can do to make forms so much more easy to use. No, it doesn't sound like the most exciting subject. Honestly, it is. Forms are exciting. I can't wait. Yes. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do next week. Um, bear in mind, uh, it, it, the, it, there is a small possibility we might have to do that with uh, Marcus on Skype. So if the quality isn't quite as great, please forgive us. Skype's better than it was. I want to do it as an, as an experiment anyway, just do to you? see. Yeah. You kind of decided. So next week, Marcus is going to be on Skype. So if it all goes horribly wrong... Well, if it doesn't sound like I'm on Skype, it means it went horribly wrong and then I had to come here. <laughs> or alternatively, it was so good on Skype, you can't tell the difference. Yeah, see, no, so one, no one will know. We need, to, we need to get people to comment on yeah. what they thought of it. Because, I mean, it would save you a trip if it works really well. But anyway, exactly. it didn't work so great before, but things have improved. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, send your ideas for um, future shows to paul at Um Especially things like Technobusters, because I'm still struggling a little bit on Technobusters. And um, that about wraps it up. The show is brought to you by headscape.co.uk. My name's Paul Bag. He's Marcus Lillington. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.